Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Good evening, good afternoon, fellow explorers of the inner realms. I'm Jonathan Robinson. I'm with my trusty co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. And besides Brian, I'm with someone who I have followed for quite a while, does an incredible podcast. And I thought I would tell you a little bit about him and go right into exploring some topics with him. He knows a lot of stuff. The man's name is Eric Zimmer. He's a behavioral coach, podcast host, and an author. In addition to his work as a behavior coach, Eric currently hosts the award-winning podcast, The One You Feed. And uh, with over 300 episodes and over 13 million downloads, the show features conversations with experts across many fields of study about how to create a life that has less suffering and more fulfillment and it's one of the very few podcasts I actually listen to because besides the fact that Eric has the greatest voice in the world, he also asks wonderful questions. And I thought he'd be a guy I would love to ask a lot of questions to because uh, you have really interesting guests. You ask the right questions and now we get to ask you the right questions. So welcome to Awareness Explorers, Eric. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. Brian, why don't you start? I know you were on the One You Feed at one time, and uh, you know a little bit more about Eric's background than I do. Well, I don't know that much about it, but what intrigues me, Eric, is that uh, when I read about your background, it seems far more extreme than a lot of people we talk to. I mean, you're talking about heroin addiction and imprisonment, and you found your way out of that. And uh, I'm just intensely curious about how you did that? Well, it's one of those things that like, you know, you could, you could summarize in like a three word answer, or we could spend five hours talking about, right? Um, you know, the three word answer is I stopped doing drugs. And uh, the long answer is, you know, I dedicated myself to changing really every aspect of my life. But the way I, I mean, I was guided through it, like I think a lot of people are, I had a lot of help in recovery. You know, I finally hit a point where, uh, as I was facing lots of jail time, uh, I was homeless. I was, uh, I weighed 50 pounds less than I weigh today. I had hepatitis C. I was dying. And I would say I was fortunate in that I found my way into recovery. And from there, I got just enough dose of hope to keep going. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of support out there for people who want to get over alcoholism, drug addiction, different things. And I was in a position that I took advantage of a lot of that support. You know, you bring up a really important topic, which I really want to dedicate most of the show to, which is uh, spiritual support systems. I know you have a program called Spiritual Habits that you support, have a support group for people. You do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And that's similar to what I've done as well. Uh, you don't, may not know this, but most people who know me know me as a motivational speaker. I speak in corporations about how to do what you know will make your life better. Mm -hmm. I've developed a lot of techniques for doing that. I'm interested in asking you about that because I think it's a really under-talked-about subject. You know, all the information is out there. Everybody knows what to do. But few people do what they know, as Tony Robbins says. So I want to dive a little bit into that topic. And it sounds like your first support system was things like AA, but mm -hmm. I'm wondering what you can talk about those early days of support and what you've learned about getting support and help to live the life we want. Well, I think first is that getting support is so important. You know, I often, I often think about, you know, I've known a lot of people who have gotten over a lot of addictions over the years. And, and I know a bunch of people who've said, you know, it was harder for me to quit smoking cigarettes than it was for me to stop doing heroin or cocaine or, and on the surface you go, well, that seems kind of odd, you know? Um, although we know nicotine's a 
a, a pretty addictive substance. But what I think is interesting about that is when, even if I look at those people themselves, when they stopped doing heroin or cocaine or alcohol, they got a lot of help. And when they stopped doing, tried to stop smoking, they just decided they would do it right. by themselves. Right. And so there's this big gap there. Right. And I think that more, the more science is done about how people change, the more we know that environment is incredibly important. And the people in our environment are, you know, people are part of our environment. And so it's that support. And so, you know, I do think that one of the biggest things is finding support. And so, you know, I was able to to find my way into AA, which was a program that saved my life and helped me completely transform my life. I feel that there are limitations to 12-step programs. I mean, there's some things about them. I could certainly talk about what I love, what I don't like. But I, I also looked a lot as I went on. And I had a lot of people say to me over the years, boy, I wish I had something like AA for me, just living a better life. Yeah. You know, they'd see what I was getting out of it and they'd be like, boy, I really wish I had something like that. And so, uh, yeah, some of the spiritual habits program that we've created has some pulling what I think is some of the best stuff out of support groups that are out there and trying to bring that element to more people as we try and and change our lives. You know, I call it spiritual habits and spiritual is a term we could talk about. What does that mean? But to me, at its most basic, it means you know, spiritual is like what really matters, you know? Yeah. So, so it's building habits around what really matters to us and, uh, having other like-minded people to support us and hold us accountable and encourage us is incredibly important. Absolutely. I found that, uh, that, um, when I was struggling to get out of depression, that there were a lot of things that were very, very helpful for me, but, the psychological help, like therapy and stuff, wasn't going all the way. And when I discovered spirituality, I found that that became the other wing of of, of the plane, you know, the self-help wing and the spiritual wing, and that that really made a big difference. And I actually stopped trying to fix all the things that were wrong with me. And I'm wondering whether you had any similar experience, whether there was a turning point where because you talked about uh, you talk about combining um, spiritual principles and behavioral science, and so I was wondering if there was a point, a transition point from say AA and support groups into into spiritual principles for you. Well, that's a that's a tricky question because AA will AA itself is considered a spiritual program. I mean, it's, it says, you know, I mean, the second, the second step of AA starts talking about this idea of a higher power and all through the AA big book, it's saying, Hey, we need a spiritual solution to our problems. Now that can be defined a lot of different ways, you know, in its more narrow definition, it's defined as you know, basically this higher power, God comes in and gets you sober, right? Which I think is a very narrow, narrow definition. I think you're where you were headed with part of that question is, is perhaps a, a slightly more uh, interesting place to go, which is what's the role in, 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 let's say in recovery from addiction, you have to change things in order to recover from addiction, And yet at the same time, you have to learn to leave a lot of things alone (laughs) in order to change, recover from addiction, right? It's why the serenity prayer sits at the heart of AA and 12-step programs, because you've got to figure out like, well, okay, what can I change? What do I need to change? But I also have to really learn to accept a lot of things and stop trying to change everything. Because I think the fundamental motion of addiction, whether it's addiction to a substance, whether it's addiction to shopping or sex or gambling or your phone or whatever you want to call it, the fundamental motion is, I don't like how I feel, so I'm going to do something to change it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel like a big shift in my, uh, for me into like a stable recovery was, okay, I don't like how I feel. And all right, I can live with that. I don't have to do anything about it. If I can do something about it, wisely, I should. But but learning to live with a certain amount of uncomfortable emotion, 
I think is fundamental to recovery from addiction. And I also think it's a big part of spiritual life. I think a big part of my spiritual life has been learning to let go of and take my hands off certain things. I know you guys are very focused on non-dual awareness. And I know my experiences of deep non-dual unitive experiences have occurred when I somehow, and I don't know how to do it all the time, I somehow completely took my hands off trying to control and manipulate experience. And I just went, whatever is here is here. Let me just be with it. That's for me when I, when I embrace, when I'm able to embrace that a hundred percent, it's like, boom, the world opens up. And so I think a, a smaller version of that is, is fundamental to recovery from addiction. Yeah. Great answer. That's great answer. That's really, I think so helpful to, to all of our listeners that that's such a sound and basic principle. What were you going to say, Jonathan? Well, I thought it was a great answer, too. And the ability to sit with discomfort is both a way of dealing with addiction, a way of knowing God, a way of knowing non-dual awareness. It's like one-size-fits-all technique. And it's something that people never talk about or we never get training in. And I'm wondering what kind of support you got so that you could get better at using that non-doing, non-interfering muscle? <laughs> well, I think it started in AA with a real, with really starting to think about that serenity prayer. You know, really a lot of, you know, a lot of focus on that in AA where I got sober, you know, 1995 in, in, in central Ohio, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot of people talking about acceptance. There was a line in the uh, AA big book. It was in some of the stories and it said, acceptance is the answer to all our problems, which I don't actually think is true. I think that, uh, the serenity prayer is a wiser interpretation of that acceptance is the answer to some of our problems. Yeah. So it started there, but certainly as my spirituality deepened and I started to look for like, what does spirituality mean to me? Because the, idea of it being a interventionist God that came in and got me sober didn't make sense to me. I tried really hard to believe that because that was the ethos I was in again, 1995 in central Ohio, you know, pretty, pretty conservative place. But as I began to, to, to look at what it really matters, what it really means to me, I was drawn very strongly to, to Buddhism, which dropped which then led me very strongly to meditation. And you don't go very far into any sort of meditative training without realizing like the, that's the game. The game is to sit there and go, well, what's happening and how do I work with it skillfully without running around trying to change it? So I would say started with, you know, AA and the serenity prayer and then just deepened over time into, into meditation. And as I learned more about meditation, beginning to embrace that more and more that that hands off you know letting things be the way they are mm -hmm. you know you do this uh, spiritual habits program and you know nowadays everybody knows a lot of stuff you know the, every book is available every experts on youtube the difference is some people do what they know and some people don't and you know, I've developed certain techniques uh, with first in a corporate audience and then in a, a new age church audience to get people to write down things like I'm going to meditate three times this week for at least half an hour each time. And then I would say, if you don't do that, every time you don't do that, I want you to rip up a dollar. <laughs> and people hate ripping up a dollar. Now, I have a, uh, uh, for people who can see. Oh, my goodness. Arklet's bottle of ripped up money. I've worked with over 10,000 people with this technique. And I now know how much it costs to achieve certain goals. If you want to quit smoking, on average, it costs $6. If you want to quit cocaine, on average, it costs $11. If you want to meditate when you haven't meditated, on average, it costs $2. So we're not talking about large amounts of ripped up money. And one of the times I was on Oprah, I talked about this show, and, and I got a lot of you know people saying, why not give it to charity? Well, giving money to charity is a fun thing, whereas when you don't do what you say you want to do, you want pain, because pain is our motivator often. 
you know, it's what gets most of us into spirituality. So I'm wondering, you know, that's an invention of mine that's worked really well with thousands of people. But I'm wondering what tips you have for people who want to do things like meditate, they want to not do drugs, that actually gets them a technique that will work for them in their daily life. What tips do you have for such people? Well, I think there's a variety of things. That's a that's a really interesting tip. What's funny to me is after about the second time I tore up the dollar, I'd be like, I'm done with this experiment. Like, <laughs> I give up. Um, well, that's where accountability comes in. That's right. That's you right. Have to, yeah. You have to show, uh, did you do it or not? If yep. you didn't do it, rip it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I think the first part of what you said there is certainly one that I focus on a lot with people, which is specificity is so important. Yeah. Right. If we don't know what we're doing, when we're doing it and how we're doing it, we're, we're way less likely to do it. So, you know, I'm going to meditate, you know, going from, you know, something like I'd like to meditate to I'm going to meditate, like you said, every, uh, every morning at 7.30 a.m. for 15 minutes using Headspace. Okay, that's specific enough that we've eliminated ambiguity. And I think ambiguity is a big driver of us procrastinating, of us not doing things. So, so specificity is, is really important. And then I think the second element of it, when I talk to people about behavior change, if I had to boil it down into sort of two basic camps, Camp one, I would call tactics. Tactics are things like being specific, uh, structuring your environment, getting support, tearing up dollars. There's all these very specific tactical things that we can do. And these are really valuable and really important. And we need to get them. The second component, I think, is emotional regulation. And, and I define emotional regulation just as working with our thoughts and emotions skillfully enough that we can act according to our values. Hmm. And so in this case, my value is to meditate every morning. So now I've decided when I'm going to meditate, what I'm going to do, right? And if I'm not doing it, then I need to kind of zoom into that moment and go, what, what's going on inside of me? What are my thoughts? What are my emotions? What am I thinking and feeling? I mean, it's best to just do it, right? That's ideal. You just do it. But if you find that you're, you keep not doing it, it's probably because there's something going on inside of you that you don't know how, that makes you uncomfortable enough that you just turn away from it. Mm-hmm. And so what is that? You know what? Like if you say, I'm going to write every morning on my blog and then you find you're just not doing it. Well, what, what's getting in the way? You might find like, oh, if I really examine it, the truth is that as I get closer to writing, my brain starts saying, why bother? It's never going to matter. It's never going to turn into anything anyway. Okay, well, now we know kind of what's happening. We can start to rescript it. So I, when I look at general, like behavior change in general, I would look at, uh, you know, do we have a tactics right? You know, do we have you doing the right thing at the right amount? You know, we're not trying to take on too much. We're not trying to do too much. You know exactly what to do. You have the skills and the abilities. Your environment is structured. Let's get all that locked in. And then if we're still struggling, then we need to look at the emotional regulation component. What are your thoughts and emotions that are happening at that moment? Because by being specific, by saying, all right, I'm going to do it at 10 a.m., we've now sort of forced ourselves to a choice point. Now at that choice point, we can look at that choice point more closely and go, okay, what's going on there? So I don't know if that answered the question. It was not heavy on tips and tricks, but maybe more framed up an approach. Well, I think that's important to understand the the ideas behind what makes a successful system. And the one thing which we talked about before here is, is the people that will hold us accountable and inspire us. Because you have to have kind of a dream that if I meditate, if I hang out with these people, good things will happen. Yep, absolutely. And it could also be that um, particular type of meditation is just not really consonant with the person's personality. As a matter of fact, in your spiritual habits site, you talk about having 12 different kinds of meditation and how to know which one is right for you. So how do you help people um, discover that because some things that work for some people don't work for others. And even sometimes some things that work for me one day might not work another. 
That's such a, yeah, isn't that something, right? Like not only is it that what works for me may not work for you, what worked for me last week may no longer work for me. It's just, it, that can be maddening. <laughs> right. So, so how do you, I mean, how do you know what's the right kind? You know, some of that, that, that second part, you know, is, is a, uh, very complex thing that I, uh, shortened down into a lead magnet phrase and how to know the right kind for you. Right. You know, so obviously when we're marketing on the web, we are, we are oversimplifying things. Right. But what I think is helpful about that, that guide or guides in general is that there's, there's different types of meditation. I feel like for a long time, and it's because I, I started trying to learn to meditate in like 1988 and then um, I only read after that, I only read a very specific type of book. I was just thinking, I mean, I spent years trying to learn to meditate by following my breath. Mm -hmm. It may be that there was other types of meditation that was mentioned in there and I just wasn't paying attention. Maybe I somehow got in my mind that was the best way to do it. And so I was like, I'm going to do the best way. I don't know. But I spent years trying that style of meditation and it's a hard one for me. It was a really hard one. At one point, all of a sudden, some I, I got the I didn't get the idea. I heard it from somewhere. Somebody said, you could just listen to sounds. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I went outdoors and I would just sit and I would listen to sound. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, I can actually sort of stay with this for a while. It was like, boom, it just changed everything. And by doing that, I developed enough concentrative power that I could then do things like breath meditation better. So I do think there's a certain amount of experimentation to see what things might naturally click more than others. Um, I think the challenge, of course, is that if we're not careful, we just hop from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, right? Well, that didn't, you know, because we expect that, you know, we tend to oversell meditation in today's world, like just meditate and you'll become rich, thin and famous by next week. Right. Which is that's not true, Derek. Well, <laughs> you, you tell you, that here on the podcast. I'm just well, you, you are, you look, you look rich, thin and famous to me. So I think it's working in your case, but, okay. <laughs> but, uh, Brian and I's case, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well, that's a wonderful uh, point of view, um, because we have a tendency, I mean, of course, you have to, you know, the, on one extreme, you hop from one thing to another, and maybe you're not really giving it a full try. But on the other extreme, you give all your power to some wise person out there who tells you what to do. And they're really, you really are the expert about what works for you. And you have to really, you you have to take that power to decide on yourself i think yeah yeah i think that's a that you know i'm a i'm a big proponent of the middle way mm -hmm. you know uh, as an idea and as a concept and i think that a lot of this stuff that we're talking about a middle way makes sense right so what you're saying like we don't want to give all our authority to the wise guru and just do whatever they say we know the abuses of power and the and all the bad things that can happen to that on an extreme end on an and on a less mild end we just abdicate all our own authority and we become spiritual infants right so so that's we take if we're on that extreme we have a problem on the other extreme if we just think we know the answer to everything, well, then we never really grow and we learn. So for me, it's always been, how do I find that, that middle ground? You know, when I got to AA, it was important that I found a sponsor who could sort of guide me through and, and provide me some guidance. I did not know what I was doing. And yet, you know, I didn't want to advocate all my authority to a sponsor, you know, and, and, uh, and so I, you know, for me, that's one of those middle way things that you, you want to find a middle way that says, Hey, yeah, I trust my own, uh, judgment, my own wisdom. I pay attention to what's going on inside me. And yet I also realize, like, Hey, I'm asking somebody for help for a reason so that they can guide me and show me things that I can't see. And so, so it's kind of hard sometimes to know quite where to land with that. But, but as usual, I think the middle is usually the best. You described that very well. And it's surprisingly hard for a lot of people because there's like something pulling towards giving your authority away. And there's something toward pulling you towards, uh, I'm not going to listen to nobody. 
<laughs> easy answers are, are, uh, feel better or simple answers feel better. It's just easier to be like, I'm going to give my authority to this person or I don't listen to anybody. Th these middle things, they take discernment. Discernment's not easy. Mm -hmm. Now I was in a spiritual, uh, group for 26 years in which we gave each other a lot of feedback and that was really helpful a lot of feedback and a lot of accountability you know i had the contract method where if you don't do it you say you rip up a dollar but you know just living with people and knowing people that were asking how's that going uh, i don't think that looks like it's going on the wrong way do you have people or things like that in your groups that help people to stay on the straight and narrow well, the spiritual habits group, um, the, the, the group right now is a, it's an eight week program. So, so there are groups that form as part of that, uh, for that eight weeks. And a lot of them have continued after the program. And so they, they've continued. And I, I would say that they, uh, each of them has taken on sort of their own flavor a little bit after the end of the program. We are working on and will be doing a Spiritual Habits Plus program that is designed to be more of a long-term support, more of a community of practice, mm -hmm. where I think we're going to focus a little bit more on getting that right blend of of accountability and mutual support. And But again, I think it's, as you said, it's one of those things that... Um, you know, a group over time develops its own, as I'm sure you saw your group does, it starts to develop its own characteristics and flavor. And so our groups, you know, the, for the, for the eight weeks that we're together, we've got a certain amount of guidance and structure that we're providing, but those groups that have continued now for another 50 weeks or so without us, you know, they, they kind of are doing it their own way. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really need to be a big group. Uh, you know, to some extent, Brian and I keep each other accountable by checking in each week. And yeah. I have a friend that every Thursday we we spend half an hour talking about how our spiritual practice is going and we hold each other accountable. And it's very simple. And, yep. and I think that's a really growing edge to really take what we have and have a spiritual friend who's like an AA sponsor but you're not getting over addiction. You're getting over my resistance to an open heart or my resistance to meditating or my, I know this practice does me good, but I don't do it very often. And yeah. all those things can really make a huge difference. They absolutely can. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of the work I do as a, as a coach for people, that's what I'm doing, you know, and I'm also trained as a certified interfaith spiritual director. So it's, if somebody's more focused on their spiritual life, then yeah, it's sort of like a spiritual friend, I think is a nice term for it. Mm -hmm. That's how this podcast started. Jonathan and I were just chatting once a week on Zoom yeah. and Jonathan said, Hey, Want to turn this into a podcast? And I said, I have no idea how to do that, but let's figure it out. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Me too. And speaking of podcasts, uh, you know, your, your podcast, the one you feed, I was wondering if you might, uh, for anyone who's not familiar with you or the podcast, uh, tell us just a little bit about that and the principle and the story of the good wolf, which I apologize if you've said it, you know, thousands of times, but. I still think people really like to hear about it. And we've sure. never heard Eric's answer to the the two wolves thing. So this is, could be a momentous occasion. Momentous, yes. Um, so yeah, the podcast is called The One You Feed, and it's based on an old parable of unknown origin. Some people think it's a Native American parable. Other people insist it's not. I've tried to figure it out and cannot come up with any reliable answer. So I say, I don't know. Uh, but it goes like this. There's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops. He thinks about it for a second. And he looks up at his grandfather and he says, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So that's the parable. I use that uh, to kick off every podcast. I, I read that parable and I ask the guests kind of what what's their interpretation of it or what does it mean to them in, in the work that they do. So it was just kind of a, a, a simple idea that I thought sort of gave us a gave every podcast sort of a jumping off point. And I imagine you have incredible range of answers. 
and interpretations of it from the people you talk to? There's a pretty wide range, although, you know, it, the, the reason that, you know, uh, a parable is so helpful is it tends to convey a pretty fair amount of information pretty easily, right? And I think all of us, when we hear that podcast, we immediately go, or, or when we hear that parable, we immediately go, oh, it's about choices and that the choices that I make matter. I mean, so I think at its most basic level, you have that. Now, I have a lot of people uh, who will come on and say, well, I don't believe in a good wolf or a bad wolf. I don't, you know, like, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to divide ourselves up into pe- I mean, there's lots of takes on it like that. You know, I know in, in, in Buddhist tradition, we often talk about skillful and unskillful. You know, we don't say something's good or bad. We say it's skillful or unskillful, but I don't think a, a, a parable of a skillful and an unskillful wolf quite carries the same, you know, it's like, you know, it, it, you know, little red riding hood and the unskillful wolf. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, yes, you're right. That just wouldn't spark our imagination in the same way. Yeah. It would be so, so vivid. Yeah. Yeah. Although I agree. I mean, one of the things I like about the parable though, I think that as I've, in, you know, as I've reflected upon it, more deeply there is obviously the you know it, it conveys an essential truth pretty quickly like okay yes my thoughts my decisions my behaviors they all really matter into the person i become but but a couple other things that are a little bit more subtle that i really like about it i mean i think the first is i love that it just sort of sets it up like this is what it's like to be human mm-hmm. you have you have love and you have hate and you have you have fear and you have confidence and you have bravery. I mean, we have all these things inside of us. That's just what it means to be human. And I find that a very helpful and normalizing thing to just go. Yeah, that's, that's what it's like. There's nothing wrong with me because I have those things that come up. That's what being human is. And I love the way the parable sort of makes it sound like, well, this is a kind of a close battle, you know, like it's actually, you know, it's, it's, this is not a foregone conclusion here, which again is helpful to me to sort of go, yeah, like, of course, no wonder. Yeah, I keep, I keep having these emotions. Oh boy, look at that. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm human. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I like is it doesn't really say you got to lock the bad wolf up or starve it or beat it or put it in a cage or anything, you know? So it's not this like sort of get, push away the bad parts of you. It just sort of encourages us, like, let's give a little bit more attention to the positive parts of ourselves. So those are some of the more slightly subtle things that I think about now after having uh, read it and listened to it so many different times. Mm -hmm. I like how you said that it's not pushing away the bad parts, which is kind of what we do a lot in society and to ourselves. It's really just gently feeding something that's a little higher and and giving it a little gentle assist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously it is a it is a short simple parable and so, you know, it does not encompass all the nuances of what it takes to become a better person to change our psychological and spiritual selves into into better people. But it but I think it points uh, at an ascent, at a at a direction that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's kind of like a Rorschach test, uh, how everyone can sort of, it will bring out a person's basic, I, I think, um, basic beliefs or basic way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. Now, you've been in the unusual position, kind of like me, where you've interviewed hundreds of people and you're always looking for their wisdom. And sometimes people ask me, you know, I interviewed Dalai Lama, Mother Teresa, all these different people. What can you say that you learned from the 200 people you interviewed? And I always hate that question. (laughs) I always think, gee, if I ever meet somebody who's done something similar, I want to ask them the question to see if they have a good answer for summarizing so much wisdom in a way that makes anything useful or makes anything sense. So whatever you say, Eric, just know that I may steal your answer when somebody asks me this in the future. But uh, what can you say, having listened and asked so many great questions of people, what's been useful or stayed with you? Yeah, I don't like that question either. Um, 
partially because like it's hard for me to remember like last week. <laughs> and Jonathan, I think you're you're trying to spread the pain here a little bit. <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> Misery well, uh, loves company, right? <laughs> to be a little bit more specific, was there one person that said something that has stayed with you over a long period of time that kind of surprised you? I usually do have a couple things that come to mind. The one that's coming to mind right now is we interviewed a guy named David K. Reynolds quite some time ago. He wrote a book called Constructive Living. And um, he had a line in it that sort of jumped out to me at the time. And and it was that his fo- his main focus is like, he's kind of very practical, like focus on what you do, you know, not not what you think, what you feel, focus on what you do you know, which is pretty sound advice in a lot of ways. But one of the things he said about that really made a lot of sense to me. And he said, when you feel like you finally have your behaviors under control, you can allow your emotions to be whatever they're going to be. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because as long as I was afraid that a bad mood or being too sad or anything like that might trigger me off into a, say, you know, using heroin again or getting drunk, I had to try and keep my emotions sort of in, I had to control them. Mm -hmm. But once I went, Hey, I'm not going to go do that. Then I, I, you know, I, I was able to allow my emotions to be what they were. So to use a uh, an example that maybe more people could relate to, if I know that just because I get angry, I'm not going to yell at my spouse, then I can allow myself to explore and feel the anger that's there. But if I'm worried that if I get angry, I'm going to act in a way I don't feel good about, then I've got to work really hard to shove my anger down or control it. And so that sort of stuck with me a lot as something that, you know, one of the things that comes to mind. Beyond that, I would say that, that what I've gotten out of the podcast, and you, you uh, used a to- uh, Tony Robbins phrase that I won't be able to recall, um, but is very fundamental to every, to the way I think about the world, which is that, you know, I say very often on the show, you you can't think your way into right action. You have to act your way into right thinking. So I'm very focused on, you know, what we do. And what I think I've gotten out of interviewing all these people over all this time is less like this piece of knowledge or that piece of knowledge, more so that I feel like I have, I swim in this place of deeper contemplation of wisdom of knowledge and it's translated into a really good support for my life as a whole and almost the the analogy i use is it feels like by doing it i swim in really nutrient rich water so i think that's what it's given me more than i could pull out this morsel or that morsel I'm afraid I really like that answer, Eric, so I may may be using it if it's not <laughs> patented. Have at it. It's not patented. Okay. I just made it up. I like also the approach of that rather than base our habits or base our life on how we feel, which is very ephemeral, that we base it on principles and actions, and then good things in general will happen, but we're not so concerned with each moment uh, you know, I'm not feeling good. or I'm not feeling the mood to go to meditate right now. Well, who cares? That's not relevant. You know, it's on your schedule at 8 a.m. You meditate. And that's, I think, a much more effective way to actually um, change and, and have a life that leads to peace and good things. 100%. I mean, if you have a mood system like mine, like relying on your mood to guide your actions is a path. Well, to absolute disaster. And it was for me, right? We, we started this off by talking about where my life ended up. That was the result of me doing what my moods told me to do. And so as somebody who, you know, has wrestled, uh, wrestled with depression, a lot of my uh, life, you know, it's still, I just, I don't have one of those mood systems that is always sunny. You know, I just don't wake up naturally like, yay, let me go do lots of wonderful things in the world today. I'm not saying I don't have days like that, and it's better than it certainly ever was. But but for me, yeah, it was really important to realize, like, I can't rely on what I feel like doing to guide me because that really got me into a bad place. And I think that's so important uh, for me 
the idea that we revolve our lives around a strategy to prevent our feelings, to prevent the feelings that we don't want to have. That's the path to misery and unhappiness. And, uh, and some people might use the term spiritual bypass. And you really have to, you have to have your feelings, but you don't necessarily have to express them. In other words, if you're angry, you don't have to yell at everybody, but you have to look inside and find what the strategies are that you're employing to prevent, to, to not have that feeling and then see if you can relax enough and let it go through you. And then you sort of become more, more porous and it goes through you and goes out the other side, at least, at least in my experience. So I'm very happy to hear you, you know, focus on that. Yeah, I think it's very well said. What you what you just said there is that sort of it's a little bit of that middle way again, right? It's you know, it's I don't the question I asked a lot early on in the show because I was really curious about it, and I still am curious about it and ask about it, but I think I, I I've I've resolved it a little bit more in my brain, which was like, how do you balance between on one hand indulging our emotions and on the other hand imp- repressing them? Right. Because indulgence is I just let them run the show. You know, in my case, it was that that led to heroin addiction. On the other hand, it might be I don't feel like exercising today, so I don't exercise or I scream and yell when I get upset or I whatever it is. I just they are in charge. Whatever the emotions say, boom, that's what happens. On the other hand, we we go to repression shove them down. They're not there. I don't feel them. Spiritual bypass is a form of this, but it's all about don't feel. And what we're after, I think, is somewhere in some place, some middle way between those two, where we go, okay, I can feel my emotion, but it doesn't run the show. It's why I said I'm, I'm, I'm so focused on this in a lot of the work that I do with people, this idea of emotional regulation, if I define it by working with my thoughts and emotions skillfully enough that I can act according to my values. Mm -hmm. So I know what matters to me. I know it's important in life. And I work with my thoughts and emotions skillfully enough that I can, that I can still do that. And by skillfully enough, I don't mean I make them all go away. Right. I learn what I can learn from them. I I get the information they have. I allow them to energize me where they're helpful, all that stuff, but they're not, they're not running the show. And so that figuring that out to me has been like the sort of the Holy grail of, of so much of this stuff. A lot of wisdom there. And I can see how you have uh, really taken some of the best from all these different people and made it your own which is really what we all have to do. I'm wondering before you do a guided meditation, if uh, Brian has another question or if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to throw in there. I don't have another question that wouldn't uh, require like us sitting around and gabbing for the next six hours because this is really enjoyable to do. But I think that we've offered a lot of really useful stuff to our listeners. And so thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. And I don't know if I have any, uh, you know, summarizing points so much as, um, yeah, I think, you know, kind of there at the end, we sort of hit, hit on, you know, some of the key, key pieces. And, you know, I know we've been a little further away in this conversation than you guys are often, uh, you know, as far as, as sort of non-duality, right. But I think that maybe, maybe to, try and tie these those things together a little bit um you know in zen uh, i'm a zen practitioner primarily um and you know we in zen it's all about um you know we 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 achieve non-duality by becoming one with our experience whatever that experience is so if my you know if my experience is one of of anger, then it's becoming one with that anger. It's really experiencing what is here in, in a, in a really deep and um, profound way. And as I said earlier, my, my only couple comments about non-duality is my experiences of non-duality have come 
my deepest experiences of it have come when I have sort of completely taken my hands off the wheel. You know, I, I, I remember the most profound one was I was sitting in a meditation retreat and it, the, the whole retreat was, none of it was going well. <laughs> it was one of those, like, none of it is going well. And there was a series of things that occurred, but the, the, the last part was I was just sitting there in meditation and my back was killing. I mean, it hurt really bad. And I just, every spasm of pain, I just kept saying, yes, yes. Yes. I just kept trying to release into it more. And yes, yes. Like just no resistance. Be with it. Just let it be. Welcome it almost. And it was after that. And I had been doing some version of that for about 24 hours. It started when I was, um, we were at dinner and there was a, uh, it was a retreat center and we, and it had a big sort of uh, dining hall and you could go out on the patio. There was a little nice little patio out front, but the, the place between where you got your food and the patio, there was a screen door. It was one of those screen doors that was on a hinge and I was sitting inside and everybody kept going through that door and it not on a, obviously every door is on a hinge. It was on a spring is what I meant to say. People would go through that door. They would just let go of it and it would slam, bam, bam bam, one after the other. And I'm just sitting there. Like I said, no part of this retreat has been going good. And I am sitting there. My blood is boiling. I'm like, you morons. Don't you know we're on a silent retreat? Like I am just angry. Like I am as about as far from spiritual as you can be. And I finally just went like, every time that door slammed, I just said, yes, yes, yes. So I tried that for the next like 24 hours until it sort of culminated in this meditation period where my back was hurting. And so I've just been doing this as, as energetically as possible saying yes to whatever. And when I, I just felt this feeling of, of power and joy come up. And when I walked outside, it was just one of those moments where it was like, ah, you know, like all of a sudden it was the complete mystical non-dual experience of oneness with everything you know just in zen we say this just this you know that was it it was there was and but it came from that complete sort of allowing things to be the way they are I love now that. i i don't remember how i got on that story but there we go. Well, we, we, you were relating um, your experience to, to our sort of um, emphasis on awareness and non-duality. And I had such a, practically the same experience in as that saying with Pamela Wilson, where in Sufi books, all the latecomers came in through a door that led to the street. And, that, and there was 20 minutes of silence at the beginning. And I would sit there and the latecomers would come in and they would have their down coats and they would take it off. And I would steam and say, this is supposed to be silence. <laughs> and then when all of a sudden I start to laugh, realizing, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not the silence she's talking about. <laughs> That's right. She's talking about the silence that all that noise is appearing in. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, those are great stories. Uh, resistance is futile. And I love the little yes technique, we'll call it. Yeah, yeah. me too. It's me a too. good one. Yeah. Well, I hear you have a guided meditation that you can uh, guide our listeners to. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Yes. I'm going to set it up first by sort of describing uh, what we're what we're going to do. But you can if you want, close your eyes or, or relax into whatever meditative position you like to. And we're going to end in a complete open awareness meditation, but we're going to work our way there by noticing a few different things. I call this meditation, sit, listen, and breathe. And so sit just simply stands for noticing anything in your body. Listen is just listening for anything in your environment, and breathing is pretty self-obvious. It's following your breath. So we're going to start with uh, doing each of those uh, for a few moments at a time, a few minutes at a time. Then we're going to start moving through them a little bit more quickly, 
And then we're going to sort of merge those categories together. So I'll, I'll lead us through it as we go, but I just want to give people a little bit of an overview of what we're going to do. So let's start with the sit portion. And all we're going to do here is let's start by noticing where our body is making contact with the chair, the floor, whatever's supporting us. Just notice the pressure, any feelings that are there. Notice where your feet are. Pay attention to the sensations in your hand. If you're someone who notices a lot of bodily sensations, wonderful, tune into those. If you're someone who doesn't notice a lot, that's okay too. Whatever's there is there. Just let it be. Whatever you can detect is fine. Don't, don't strain to feel something that you're not feeling. Now notice your shoulders. See if you can let them just fall away from your ears a little bit and notice any sensations that are there. Notice the sensations in your mouth of your teeth, your gums. Where's your tongue resting? And now just notice physical sensation as a whole. Whether it be any individual sensation, a cloud of sensations. All the things that I just pointed out are any of the things that can work in the sit portion of this meditation as we move forward. So anytime we say sit, we just mean any of these body sensations that we've covered or, or any others that you notice. Now let's move on to the listen. Listening is fairly self-explanatory. We just want to listen for whatever sounds are in our environment. At any point, if you get distracted, if you notice that you're thinking, if your mind has wandered away, that is 100% normal and fine. Just bring it back to listening for sounds. No judgment, no worry. But let's just spend the next moment or two just listening to the sounds in our environment. Now let's move on to the breathe portion. This one, again, is also fairly self-evident. Just notice the sensations of your breathing for the next couple of minutes, wherever you notice it. You might notice it at your stomach. You might notice it at your nostrils. might be a vague uh, overall sense of rising and falling. But wherever the breath registers for you, just put your attention there for the next few moments.
Okay, now that we have explored the different elements, the physical sensations, the what I'm calling sit, the listening, and the breathing, we're going to start to move through them in a cycle. And so basically what we're going to do is we're going to sit for a second, just notice a physical sensation. Then we're going to listen, hear a sound, and then we're going to follow a cycle of the breath. And when we come out of the cycle of breath, we will just come back to sit and notice a physical sensation, then a listening sensation, then a cycle of the breath. And we're just going to move through kind of, you think of it almost as having a rhythm. It's sort of a sit sensation, listen sensation, cycle of the breath. And so I'll let you move through that at your own pace for the next few minutes, but just kind of one after the other, physical sensation, sound, cycle of the breath. And if you get lost, just pick up wherever you left off or just start again with sit and move through. Just as a reminder, we are noticing a body sensation, sit, then a sound, then a cycle of the breath. If you get distracted, which is perfectly normal, just pick back up. All right, now what we're going to explore is letting these categories bleed over into each other just a little bit. So as you're doing sit, at the tail end of it, just also see if you can hear a sound while you're noticing a body sensation. And at the end of listening, see if you can pick up the beginning of your breath. And at the bottom of your breathing cycle, See if you can simultaneously notice a body sensation. So we're sort of letting these three categories bleed into each other. And now what we're going to try is just to hold 
all three of these in awareness. Can you notice your body sensation, the sounds in your environment, and your breath in one field of awareness? So we're trying to notice our bodily sensations, the sounds in our environment, and our breathing. In Zen, we have a type of meditation called Shinkantaza. And if you can get a Zen teacher to say any more to you than just sit there, what they might say is, well, sit there, listen, and breathe. And so that's what we're doing here. We are sitting, noticing our physical sensations, noticing our breath and hearing the sounds and see if you can try just for the next minute not to miss any of those a single sound a body sensation or a breath just for one minute We're just trying to hold our bodily sensations, sounds, and breath all in one continuous field of awareness without missing a moment of the experience. Okay. Now, just for the final minute, we're going to just relax and let your brain completely off the hook. Allow it to do whatever it wants for the next minute. <laughs> there's my cut rate meditation bell but we are done i absolutely love that meditation and i'm so grateful to you for picking a meditation that could not be more perfect for awareness explorers <laughs> i thought yeah it was uh you know it's that um yeah, it's just something I've been playing with as I've like explored Zen Shinkantaza. And again, as I've, when I ask a, a teacher, like, they're like, well, just sit there. I'm like, yeah, but come on, you got to give me something. Give me something, <laughs> right? They're like, well, just, what I'm just saying, well, just sit there and listen and breathe. And, and that, that final part where you try and do them all without missing a single sensation, yes. that's the sort of Shinkantaza that you hear Zen masters say, like, if you're doing Shinkantaza right, you should be sweating. You know, I've always been like, what do you, what, the, I don't even understand. But, but that gives me a little of that feeling because it's this really heightened, like, anyway, so hopefully it was enjoyable. Oh, it was great. And it gives me the feeling of, well, these are not separate awarenesses. These are all happening in the one field of awareness. And that's, that's a non-dual experience right there. It's just all, it's just one field, which you mentioned in, in the, uh, in the meditation. And and so I listeners, go for it. 
we 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 have all our meditations on the meditation page on our website and and on YouTube, so you can listen to the whole episode and you can listen to the meditation part separately. So listen often. Yeah, and any feedback, I'm always I'm always open to any feedback. As as you know, you try different things, you're kind of like, well, do people like it? Um, some people I've taught that to really like it, and other people are like, too busy, too much going on. <laughs> like you're jumping around too much. So I think it just depends on the person. So you might find like, oh, that's really helpful to me. You might find like, ugh, can't stand yep. it. So, that's right. That's right. That's the way. Get feedback. Way how how can people get hold of you or or learn about you? Yeah, if you just go to oneyoufeed.net, that's o n e y o u f e e d dot net. You know, you can find all our uh, all our podcasts there. You can find the programs we offer. You can find contact us forms. You can find our social media. It's all right there. Fantastic. Well, it's been a real treat and pleasure, and and I know helpful to me and Brian and our listeners. And if you want to support our podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers and you get all kinds of free stuff for supporting us. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate the wisdom that we get from all these wonderful teachers such as Eric and, and uh, any last things you want to say, Brian? I'm just filled with gratitude and uh, delight that uh, you were able to join us and, uh, and share all that with our listeners. So thank you so much, Eric. That was really my pleasure. Great questions, guys. And I really enjoyed it. Till next time, friends, keep exploring, keep exploring, keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.